there are lots of things that we each are not good at. But there are a few things that we're all good at. One of those things is bragging rights. Some of us are coyer about it, while others of us are bolder. It may be about the kids' accomplishments, the promotions at work, the ribbon at the county fair, the new direction of the football team, or whatever the case may be. But when it comes down to it, the human race understands bragging rights. Boasting is best when it is backed up with evidence. That's what makes bragging rights right, legit. Today's text uses this idea of human boasting to launch us into one of the most foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. Would you please turn with me in your copy of the scriptures to the book of Romans. And today we begin Romans chapter 4. While you're turning to Romans chapter 4, let me remind you of the challenge that I issued to you at the beginning of our series when we first began started going through Romans. To read the book of Romans often. It takes about an hour to read through the book of Romans and it yields and, and meditation on this, on this text will, will yield so much to you and really just thrill your soul. I'm trying to read it each week that I'm, that I'm preparing to preach Romans. I think I've read Romans about 40 times this far. And each time, I've learned something new as I'm walking through it. As we return to our series today, let me further remind you that the book was written both to Jewish and to Gentile believers, converts, that, made up, that were, were attending, that were a part of the church in Rome. And although the Apostle Paul had, had not yet been here, he was planning to stop by to visit them on his way to Spain. And so he sends this letter in advance of his visit. In advance of his visit he tells them in the first chapter, I long to see you, that I, might, that I might impart some spiritual gift to you to strengthen you, that we both be, be encouraged, mutually encouraged, both by your faith and by mine. So he, he longs to see them, to, to mutually be encouraged in their faith, as he's on his way to Spain. The epistle is a, is a doctrinal jewel, if you will, and it clearly presents the undeserved, the unmatched, the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. We have divided our series into six divisions as we see the, the book of, of Romans unfolding. The priority of the gospel, which we've, we've walked through, where Paul says that, that, the, that, that, that the gospel is the power of God and salvation, and we've gone through that section, the first chapter. And now we're in that second section, the heart of the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 4, verse 25. And in that second section, we see that the heart of the gospel is revealed this way. The righteousness of God is revealed through his wrath. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And Paul unfolds this idea of God's wrath against the human race because of our sin. It's legit wrath. It's, 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 it's just wrath. It's deserved wrath. Further, the heart of the gospel, the righteousness of God, reigns with justice. God is just in his doling out wrath and his doling out grace. With God, there is no partiality. And now we're into this section of the righteousness of God being received by faith. 
And really that's held for us in chapter 3, verses 21 through the end of chapter 4. The majority of the first three chapters is about our sinful ways. How can an unjust person, like you and me, how can unjust people ever hope to stand before the just judgments of God? It all comes down to the righteousness of God. So after all of the bad news of chapters 1 through 3, Paul shifts gears, if you will, and he says, But now, chapter 3, verse 21, now the righteousness of God is made known. And that's the hinge, that's the shift in this whole drama of God's wrath and our righteousness. Since Christ has come, now that God's righteousness has been revealed, has been manifested, God gives his righteousness to sinners through propitiation of Christ by Christ's blood. That's the heart of the gospel. So today's text in chapter 4 through chapter 4 is really just a continuation of where we left off pre-Christmas in chapter 3. In chapter 4, Paul uses Abraham to teach the doctrine of justification by faith alone. So we're going to have a mini-series within the series of Romans. Five sermons, Lord willing, from Romans chapter 4 on justification by faith alone as seen in the life of Abraham. And in case any of you are wondering, I can tell you right now that in, during those five services, not one of them will contain the song, Father Abraham. Because I know how some of you get so when you start doing the hand motions, and it would just be too wild for us to be able to handle. Christian, Romans chapter 4 is a message that calls us to humble worship. It calls us to faithful evangelism. If you're not a Christian, this chapter calls you to acknowledge that the only way for God's righteousness to be received is by faith in Jesus Christ. Would you please follow along? We're going to back up and pick it up in chapter 3, verse number 20. Paul writes, Therefore, so he's, he's gone through all of the ways in which we are sinful, and then he says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh, no human being, be justified in his sights. For the law, by the law, is the knowledge of sin. And here's that transition. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe... For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this, at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus." Where is boasting then? Paul says it is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of Gentiles? Yes, of Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. 
Yea, we established the law. And here's our text for this morning. What shall we say then that, that Abraham our, our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory or something to boast about. But not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. And to him that works not but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describes the blessing of, of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not count or impute sin. One of the best gifts I bought myself last year was a book entitled Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. You should go get one. In it, Ortland says, It is the most counterintuitive aspect of Christianity that we are declared right with God, not once we begin to get our act together, but once we collapse into honest acknowledgments that we never will. Friends, we are justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. See how that's unfolded in two ways this morning. In verses 1 and 2, see that there are no exceptions to justification by faith alone. And then in verse 3, we'll consider a prime example of justification by faith alone. So first, there are no exceptions to justification by faith alone. No exceptions. Do you enjoy exceptions to the rule? I before E, except after C. Turn right on red, except when there's a sign saying not to. 30 days has September, April, June, and November. All the rest have 31, except February has 28, and then a leap year has 29. I had to look up that little ditty because I couldn't remember it. Paul explains to the church at Rome and to us that there are no exceptions to being justified by faith alone. Why does Paul elongate the argument? He already made it uh, in verse 27. Where then is, of chapter 3, where is boasting then? Paul says it's excluded. Why does he elongate his argument through, through chapter 4? See, you see, the, the apostle is using this idea of boasting to transition really into 25 verses of teaching on justification by faith alone in Christ alone. So why would he do such a thing? Well, obviously, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he understood to whom he was writing. He was writing to the Jewish people, to Jews who may object to his teaching of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The Jews were caught up with their good works, weren't they? They were caught up with the traditions of a, of a rabbi. We know from Jesus' day that his interaction with the Pharisees, that the emphasis was on performance of a Jew. The Jews had a glorious history. Think about it. Moses, David, Elijah, Isaiah, Daniel. They were great men. I mean, David was called a man after God's own heart. But Abraham, Abraham, 
He was the granddaddy of them all, literally. Abraham is the one that the Jews revered so, so much. There are, some, there are actually some extra-biblical writings that make fantastic and hyperbolic claims about Abraham. Apocryphal books taught that Abraham was justified by keeping the whole law. Uh, Abraham came before the law. Uh, that he was perfect in his deeds or that he had no need of repentance. And many of the Jewish people bought into that, that, that Abraham was justified by his works because of he, was, he, he kept the law. The Jews had, that had concluded that he was justified by his own works. So this is why Paul drives home the point that not even Abraham could be justified by his works. Not even Abraham could be justified, could, could be exempt from being justified by faith alone. If you're reading in the ESV, you have a little bit different of a punctuation there in chapter, in chapter 4, verse number 1. I actually prefer what, what in the King James. It's, it's, it's not just that Abraham was our forefather by relationship, by being an ancestor, but that he was just a human being. Rather, Paul is asking the question, what did our forefather Abraham learn about? What did our forefather Abraham gain from the flesh? What was gained by Abraham from his works? That question becomes clear as we continue even into to verse 2. It's, this, it's a question that each of us is faced with also. What can be gained by our works of the flesh? The flesh is, is referring to anything that, that someone could depend upon, could attempt to depend upon for salvation. Somebody may depend upon their nationality. Paul was writing to, the, to Jews and Gentiles in Rome. Someone could say that, he, that, that a Jew could say that he was relying on that for justification. Someone could say their Christian heritage, being baptized as a baby, giving money to the poor, sacrifice of time and energy for others, a really strict morality. The flesh is anything that, that, that someone could depend upon, could attempt to depend upon to be right with God. It'd be a good question for each of us to consider this morning. What does our life give testimony to that we might be depending upon instead of the work of Jesus? Flesh is depending on anything other than the blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So the question of justification by faith alone is this. Was Abraham justified by God? Was Abraham accepted by God on the grounds of, of what he was and what he did with his life? And Paul gives an emphatic answer in verse 2. For if Abraham were justified by works, he has something to boast about, something to glory in. And here's the answer, but not before God. Paul says that's impossible. Here's Paul's argument. If a man is to be justified by God through that man's own human efforts then he has reason to boast in himself. If a human being can, can do something in his own strength to gain a right standing before our holy God, then that human being has, has bragging rights. But Paul explains that Abraham was not, in fact, justified by his works. Therefore, he has nothing to boast about before God. And Paul devotes all of what we will see in chapter 4 to teaching about Abraham being justified by faith alone. 
precisely because the apostle understood that the Jews were especially inclined toward believing otherwise. Paul was dedicated to teaching the Jews that justification comes through faith alone. Even Abraham was not an exception. Friends, neither are you. We default sometimes into thinking that we can be the exception to the rule, don't we? Well, someone has to win, right? I better buy that Powerball ticket. It'll be me. I'll be the exception to all the losers. We are easily convinced that we can be the exception to everyone else in our academics, in our careers, in our finances, or whatever the case may be. Paul teaches us that justification comes by faith alone. Abraham was no exception, and neither are you. Most people in our, in our world believe that, that if you do your best, you will somehow make it to heaven, that you will somehow be right with God. All the false religions of, of history come back to, to a works-based salvation. This is one of the elements that sets Christianity apart from the rest. Justification is by faith alone. So this text issues a strong ca caution to all of us. Be oh so very careful about being deceived regarding your own justification. This is an eternal matter. Most of us would be quick when, when thinking about this, we would be quick to, to go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 and say, No, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But in reality, we often have a mindset that our goodness gets us somewhere with God. Growing up in a Christian home, going to church, those things don't justify you. Having all of your kids have made, having been made professions of faith, never cheating on your spouse, conservative life values, doing your best to be good, none of those can make you right with God. You will never get your act together enough. You can't. Abraham couldn't, and you can't. It's very, very common for those of us who grew up in churches like Harvest Bible Church, to think that we have to measure up to be right with God. Friend, there's good news for us this morning. God is so kind. God is so loving that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to measure up in our behalf. Jesus kept the law that we could not keep Jesus had his act perfectly together because he knew that we would never have our act together to, to be satisfactory to God. So run to Jesus' perfection. Run to Jesus. Trust in his work on your behalf. Rest in the accomplishments of Christ. He invites you to come to him for rest. So I ask you, whether this is your first time at Harvest Bible Church or your thousandth time at Harvest Bible Church. Have you done that? Are you resting in something else? Or are you resting in Jesus? Has your faith been in, in something that you have accomplished? Or is your faith in Jesus? 
If you've never called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, I invite you to do that today. If you have questions about what that means, talk with us after the service so we can show you from God's word what it means to be, a, to be born again. You will never get your act together enough. You can't. Abraham couldn't, and you can't. Moms and dads, remember this. Neither can your children. Let's be careful not to expect our children to have a transformed behavior in order to be right with God. Let's be careful not to bring up our kids in moralism. Yes, we want to teach them that, uh, about morality and what God wants, but we don't want to teach them that morality makes them right with God because it doesn't. So teach them, teach your kids that they can't measure up to God's standard, but that Jesus did for them. Regularly remind them that they will never measure up to God's standard, but they can trust that Jesus did for them. Transparently live out in front of your kids that you, as a parent, still don't measure up to God's standard, but that you're trusting that Jesus did for you. It's the most counterintuitive aspect of Christianity that we are declared right with God, not once we begin to get our act together, but once we collapse into the honest acknowledgments that we never will. We are justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. So while there is no exception to justification by faith alone, we see secondly that there are prime examples of justification by faith alone. Look at verse 3. For what says the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So Paul expands the thought from chapter 3, verse 27, when he asks the question, where is boasting? And he expands it into 25 verses of chapter, of chapter 4, because he knew the default of the Jewish people to boast in their own good works. But another reason that Paul kind of elongates his argument from chapter 3 is that he wants to make clear uh, uh, that this argument of justification by faith alone is not a new argument. Josh Roth mentioned that as he read the scriptures from Genesis chapter 15 this morning. Justification by faith alone was true in the Old Testament, and it's true in the New Testament. The same message that the Old Testament taught is true in the New Testament. What Paul was teaching the Romans and us is that Abraham's justification by faith is no different than their justification by faith, or our justification by faith. God has rescued humans in the same way in both Testaments. Abraham serves as a prime example of someone who was justified just as we are by faith. Remind yourself quickly this morning of, of, of Abraham. Abraham was, had still, was still living in Ur of the Chaldees, and the Chaldeans were polytheistic people. They worshipped many gods. And God doesn't tell us in the Old Testament or anywhere in the Scriptures why he chose uh, to, to, name pagan, uh, to name a pagan like Abraham, why he chose him from the millions of other pagans in the world. Abraham was chosen by God's sovereign will, not because of his good deeds or even because of his faith. His faith was only accepted by God because God counted it as righteousness. But God does tell us that Abraham left his homeland, that Abraham left probably lots of relationships behind, that Abraham left probably a lot of possessions, that certainly he left his security for an unknown future. He trusted 
God's word to give him a land that he had not seen. He trusted God's power later on to raise Isaac from the dead if necessary. God also tells us that Abraham's faith was not perfect. When facing famine in Canaan, Abraham went to Egypt instead of asking God for help. He lied about his wife Sarah being his sister. He committed adultery with Hagar. But as we read earlier in the service from Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed in the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's the first time in the Bible where justification by faith alone is, is clearly stated for us. Abraham believed God. It wasn't just an academic intellectual approval. He trusted God. He was committed to God. Abraham trusted God. And precisely because of that trust, God counted to Abraham righteousness that Abraham could never earn on his own. God appeared to Abraham and made a covenant with him. He promised Abraham that he would make a great nation of him. He said, through your seed will all the, the nations of the world be blessed. God revealed to Abraham that the way of salvation is, is in Jesus Christ. We don't know that God used Christ's name, but we do know that, that God uh, communicated the truth to Abraham. Abraham understood that God's way of, of justifying man is not through man's works, not by man's law keeping, not through, circum, through circumcision, but Abraham believed. We read of it in Hebrews. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into the place that he should after receive for an inheritance, he obeyed, he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of, with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Martin Luther wrote of this idea that Abraham believed God. And he, he concluded, Luther concluded, that it was equivalent to saying that Abraham considered God to be truthful. Friend, do you consider God to be truthful? Do you live as though God will come, come through for you in all that he has promised to you? That he is with you, that he will be with you at all times, everywhere? Do you believe that God will come through to you on his promise to do a good work in you? That Jesus is constantly making intercession for you even right now? That he will come through with you, for you on his promise to be true rest for your soul. That he will supply for all of your needs. That he will alone will satisfy all the longings that you have in this life. Christian, God is coming through for you no matter what happens in this life. It doesn't matter who is in the White House. It doesn't matter what happens on Wall Street. It doesn't matter if life seems sour or sweet. God is coming through for you. God cannot fail. Abraham knew that. Abraham considered God to be truthful. So God reckoned. God credited. God imputed Abraham with righteousness that was not Abraham's to have. It's a beautiful thought to consider that God has credited us with Christ's righteousness in spite of our blatant rebellion against God. If you believe that 
that, that happens, that God is truthful about how that happens, then you, like Abraham, believe God. And by using Abraham as the supreme example of justification or salvation by faith alone, Paul was, was storming the very citadel of traditional Judaism. Abraham was a, was a God-fearing man. He was a pious man, an obedient man. But that's not why he was justified by God. He was justified by faith. He counted God to be truthful. He was justified as we are justified today. So Paul uses chapter 4 of Romans to take away all the good works of Abraham and say justification comes by faith alone. When we don't have anything, God gives us everything. In Christ, God imputes it to us. He reckons it to us. So the only difference between you being justified by faith alone and Abraham being justified by faith alone is that Abraham looked forward to the promised one. He trusted that the Redeemer would come and that the Redeemer would pay the penalty for his sin. And you look backward to the promised one. You look backward and trust that the Redeemer did come and that he did pay the penalty for your sin. So while there is a different time frame for our faith, the object of our faith remains the same. Jesus Christ. So as Ortland said, it is the most counterintuitive aspect of Christianity that we are declared right with God, not once we begin to get our act together, but once we collapse into honest acknowledgement that we never will. We are justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. You may have bragging rights if your team wins the championship or because your aunt's pickles won the blue ribbon at the county fair or because of some academic feats that you have accomplished. But Paul says, make no mistake about it. When it comes to having the righteousness of Christ, you have no bragging rights. There is nothing you could do in your flesh to accomplish a right standing before God. If you are right before God, if God has indeed justified you, your only boast is in Christ. So how should, we, how should we respond to this reality? First, we should respond with faithful evangelism. Exercise caution when you evangelize. Jesus didn't call people to behavior change in order for them to be God's children. So be careful that you don't communicate that justification comes through what someone does once they have changed their behavior. Be careful that you don't assume that because someone is cleaned up in appearance and behavior that they are not in need of the gospel. And conversely, be careful that you don't assume that because someone has a messy history that they still are not in need of Christ or that they are in need of Christ. Be careful to communicate there is nothing in our flesh that any of us can do to, to be right with God. Be careful to communicate that there is no exceptions to being justified by faith. Be careful that as you come to God, that you remember that you were not his child somehow because you cleaned up enough. 
You're not his child because you've spent, you, you've been part of a gospel preaching church. You're not his child because you were born in a certain country. You're not his child because of anything that you have done. You are his child because of his work to justify you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You are his child because he gave you faith to believe that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient to appease God's anger for your sin. The old hymn says it this, says it this way. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. So Christian, respond with adoration, with praise, with worship, with thanksgiving. Respond with a life that says, I'm a debtor to the mercy of God. Therefore, I will live for Him. May God help it to be true. May God bring it to be true of Harvest Bible Church that we live for Him because we recognize that we are debtors to His mercy alone. Let's pray.